Hello and welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there and everywhere in between. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber, and I have a great interview coming up today. It's in just a little bit. It's all about concrete. Not, not just concrete, but a revolutionary way to make concrete resist the freeze-thaw cycle that destroys it every year. You know there's that old saying, especially here around some of the states like Colorado that have really bad soil. There's a saying about two kinds of concrete. There's freshly laid concrete and cracked concrete. And that's hopefully what this new process of making concrete will eliminate. Or at least make concrete last longer. Anyway, it's a new additive that's supposed to prevent the cracking and make your driveway and our roads and bridges and buildings and all those things last a lot longer. And that's good news for uh, everybody. I can't see why it would be a bad thing. Anyway, it's pretty interesting. And I'll have the interview coming up in just a little bit. If you want to reach the show, of course, you can call the voicemail number 303-832-0217. That is the number to get a hold of us. 303-832-0217. You can also drop us a line anytime on the email at drivingyoucrazypodcast at gmail.com. Now we have a real professional impaired driver out in southeastern Colorado. He's reading a story. Actually, it was a tweet from the state patrol where they sent out a picture of their radar gun and it showed a car that was speeding at 105 miles an hour. Now, naturally... The trooper pulled the driver over, and he soon discovered that the driver was driving under the influence. So, naturally, that driver was arrested, taken to jail for processing, and then released to a sober driver to go home. Well, that friend apparently didn't go directly home. That friend drove the man back to his car, and as fate has it, the DUI driver was again driving poorly and went past a cop who... Pulled him over again, about an hour after he was first pulled over. And then he was charged with a second count of driving under the influence in the same day. That's your daily double right there. That's not a good daily double, by the way. The State Patrol only said at the end of their tweet, please make better choices. Well, yep, that's good advice after pulling somebody over for DUI twice in a row. All right, here's a headline for you. Less traffic due to stay-home measures provides extra time for the city not to fix any potholes. Dateline, Rochester, New York. With New York State's stay-at-home measures, the city has seen a dramatic decline in vehicles on the road, and this has provided a huge opportunity to fix another of the city's plagues, potholes. The Interloop blog caught up with a city worker asking the question, What have we been doing? This is the answer from that city worker. Quote, uh, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I move the cones over here, I move them over there. No, like Larry, over there. Now move them over there. Unquote. City residents agree that now would be a perfect time to take care of that issue. The streets are clear, and why not fill those potholes? That from Angela Lambert, a Dewey Avenue resident. She demanded, we've got a hole so damn big, if your mama fell in, she'd be scraping the sides. <laughs> The city and the mama declined to comment on the pothole issue. Uh, that from the innerloopblog.com. 
They say it's Rochester's number one source for fake news. But there is some truth in that fake news. I have seen still a lot of road issues that could be fixed. Some are being fixed around the country because of the light traffic, but there's still a lot that could be done to take advantage of what's going on around. And I keep seeing more traffic building across the country, but it's it's a weird pattern where the, actually some of the real early morning commuting, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., has been higher than pre-COVID levels. And then in the 6 and 7 o'clock hour, it's actually much lower, still by 20 or 30%. And then the traffic actually increases during the day. We talked about this with Travic Karma uh, in an interview the other week, and it's it's so interesting to see how this traffic pattern is still hanging in there where you have the traffic that's higher during the middle part of the day and then during the evening commute it's lower and then in the evening it starts ticking back up again and we're still in that pattern even though traffic is still coming up and getting a little bit more all the time so I don't think we're going to be back to pre-COVID levels for quite some time it's going to take a while before everybody gets back to work because there's a lot of companies that are happy with this status quo of having people work from home. So until we get people working on the road and we get more salespeople out there working and, and more people driving and the daycares and the schools, and that is a huge impact to traffic. So we might not be back to pre COVID levels for quite some time. We'll see how all that goes. If you've been out to the airport, you know that it's pretty much empty out there and there's, very few people, if any, in the security lines. And there are some new procedures where you're supposed to wear masks. I know in, in uh, Colorado, where you're supposed to still wear the masks. Uh, and in the city, you're supposed to still wear the masks inside the airport. And most of the airlines have the uh, requirement you're supposed to wear the masks on the airplane. And it's not really unusual for the smaller airports to have a very short TSA line, like the Eagle County Airport up in Colorado's mountains. But what is unusual is that there is now, at least temporarily, a really short flight from the Eagle County Airport to the Aspen Airport. And at 29 miles, they say it's the shortest commercial jet flight in the country. The 29-mile flight costs you $29 for a ticket. Well, about 45 bucks with the fees and the taxes and all that stuff. And American Airlines is flying this flight but this temporarily flight keeps the airline in good graces with the department of transportation which is requiring the airline to maintain minimum levels of service into regional airports as part of the coronavirus coronavirus relief package that all the airlines are getting so there was 58 billion dollars out there And these airlines need to keep some of the routes going in order to qualify for some of this relief package money. Now, in the past, the DOT has allowed some of the airlines to suspend service after showing the DOT that it's really not feasible to keep flying empty planes across the country just to meet these requirements. Um, And American didn't win some of the exceptions to uh, try to not keep empty planes in the air so they're now five days a week this flight goes from dallas to eagle then to aspen and then to montrose before returning to dallas now there was a reporter a newspaper reporter from the mountains who took one of these flights and he says it was 
really a pleasant little flight. You had to keep your mask on. If you remember after 9-11, there was a whole new spiel from the flight attendants about the requirements of what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do when you're when you're on a plane. Well, now they have similar new requirements that the flight attendants will tell you about uh, when you get on a flight, like keeping your mask on, cover your sneeze, wash your hands, don't hang around the bathroom, don't sit in the back rows, be nice to people who aren't wearing masks because they might have some kind of medical condition that prevents them from wearing one. They also, I guess, say don't flush your mask down the toilet, which is a good idea. Well, anyway, this reporter says it took just five minutes for the jet, once it left Eagle County, to reach the apex of its flight at 455 miles an hour and 15,700 feet. Three minutes later, the pilot began his descent and throttled back to 250 miles, 259 miles an hour. And then in just eight more minutes... The flight attendants say, welcome to Aspen. It right now is the shortest commercial jet flight in the country. And at the moment, it takes about 15 minutes or so. But it's probably not going to last much longer as the Department of Transportation has now granted American Airlines their request for an exemption to cut some of these temporary routes just to qualify for their relief money. So looks like that route's going to be eliminated. And while it might be the shortest flight in the U.S. right now, there is actually a short flight in the United States, in California. I'll get to that in just a second. But there's actually a shorter tip, trip in the world. It's tucked away in the northern isles of Scotland, where Scottish regional airlines, Logan Air, they operate a flight that, get this, it's just one and a half miles, 1.7 to be exact. The flight is between the islands of Westray and Papa Westray, the, the bigger of the, the Westray Islands. And while that flight is scheduled for 90 seconds, typically it run, runs closer to 60. <laughs> the world record time for that flight was 47 seconds. Now, the flight has been around since 1967 because even though the flight is short, it's essential to the people who live in that area, usually because, well, obviously pre-COVID, it was where the teachers and the school students visiting health staff, there was a lot of people that had to jump back and forth to these uh, this island from the mainland, uh, and that was the only way really to get there. And it's essential for the locals, and it's obviously popular with tourists, saying that they were on the shortest flight. And the prices for the flight vary, but the average around 10 bucks a trip, so why not? Now, the shortest international flight is between St. Martin and Anguilla in the Caribbean. It's just 10 minutes the shortest intercontinental flight is on Royal Air Morocco that goes between Gibraltar and Tangiers. That is just at 43 miles. But if you're looking for the shortest commercial flight in the continental United States, outside the one between Eagle and Aspen, it's Sky West. They have a flight from San Francisco to Santa Rosa up there in Sonoma County. And that flight averages around 20 minutes. Passengers typically spend more time on the taxiway than in the air. There is a flight in Hawaii that's 28 miles between two of the island towns, and it takes about 20 minutes total from gate to gate. And, you know, I looked because there I, I think there are other cities that are pretty sh uh, close together, like Fort Lauderdale and Miami, and I couldn't find any direct flights between those two. There were some with connections to other parts of Florida or even through Atlanta, which is ridiculous. If you want to go from Fort Lauderdale to Miami, you can actually connect through Atlanta. Uh, there is a 15-minute helicopter flight available for $3,500 if you want from Fort Lauderdale to Miami. 
I've actually flown one of those connecting flights uh, from Denver to Colorado Springs, which was a pretty short flight. Well, anyway. Well, from airplanes to concrete. This is the time of the show where we get to talk to someone who is very smart. So smart, they come up with revolutionary changes to ordinary things, something like concrete. Yeah, concrete. Researchers at the University of Colorado in Boulder have made a fascinating discovery that could make concrete resist that freeze-thaw cycle that destroys it every single winter, leads to potholes in the road, leads to cracks in your driveway. Well, joining me now to talk about it is Will Shrubar, and he is the Assistant Professor of Civil, Environmental, and Architectural Engineering at the University of Colorado there in Boulder. Will, thanks for being here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with this monumental discovery. What is it, and how did you come up with this idea? Yeah, great question. So we discovered uh, that if we kind of took some inspiration from nature and how nature dealt with freezing temperatures, um, we discovered a biomimetic antifreeze molecule that we could put into concrete uh, that could help it resist freeze-thaw damage. Uh, now, freezing and thawing, if you walked around downtown Denver, downtown Boulder, um, you would certainly see evidence of, of freeze-thaw damage. Um, concrete as a material is really porous, so it likes to suck up water. Um, and when that water begins to freeze, uh, obviously ice crystals form and, and, uh, and ice expands uh, when it freezes. And so that pressure kind of needs to go somewhere. Um, and if there's no place for that pressure to go, the surface of the concrete kind of pops off. And there have been some ways uh, in which the field has dealt with this problem over the course of uh, the better part of a century. Um, and that's to put in tiny little air bubbles inside of concrete um, so that the pressure that, that builds up has, has some place to go. Um, we thought that was kind of silly because air bubbles introduce other types of uh, of damage, um, or I guess air bubbles um, aren't necessarily ideal to be putting into a, a structural material. So we kind of scratched our heads and thought we could solve the problem a different way. But when you put in those air bu bubbles, may maybe you could put them, and, and this is just me being, pretending to be actually smart, uh, could you make them into like a honeycomb shape and then the air bubbles are actually strong? Well, actually, what we've shown is that the air bubbles, um, A, it's really hard to get the air bubbles perfectly uh, dispersed inside of a concrete mixture. Um, and so, you know, if you don't get it exactly right, you kind of got to go in and, and chip out all of the concrete and do it all over again, which can get expensive. Um, number two, um, yeah, it, you know, you can't really um, change the shape of those air bubbles all too much. Uh, so those round air bubbles, um, air doesn't really carry load. So it just lowers the, lowers the strength of the concrete. But I think that the third, uh, the third um, uh, detrimental uh, effect that air bubbles have on concrete is that you kind of uh, introduce just super highways for water and harmful dissolved salts to come into the concrete, which exacerbates another problem, which is chloride-induced corrosion uh, that's also evidenced um, uh, a lot in our civil infrastructure. So a minute ago, you just mentioned this biomimetic molecule, this... I guess a process that you said mimics antifreeze. So did you specifically look for that to put into concrete or were you just looking at the concrete going, there's got to be a better way to, to make this and to keep it from cracking? 
Yeah, I, you know, I, by background, I'm a structural engineer and, and I, I have grown up um, uh, studying concrete and designing even some buildings out of concrete. And, and uh, we really just thought we could solve the problem a little bit differently. And I'm, I'm certainly uh, of the opinion that nature has solved all of our problems for us. We just kind of have to know where to look. And uh, so the more I started to look into um, how nature deals with freezing temperatures, I stumbled upon the field of antifreeze proteins. Um, so there are a lot of organisms, fish, plants, insects, bacteria that live in sub-zero temperatures and really thrive. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. How do they do that? Um, and they do that by producing uh, an antifreeze protein uh, that binds to the surface of really tiny ice crystals that start to form. Um, and it keeps the ice crystal really, really small and it prevents its growth and coalescence and it prevents that damage. Um, so our first step, you know, <laughs> the first step was, well, let's get a lot of this protein and, and see if it can, we can put it into concrete. Um, any of you who know anything about proteins know that they, they get a little bit unhappy when, you, when they're taken out of their native environment. Um, and the pH of concrete, if you were to just put um, uh, protein in concrete, the pH is too high uh, for those proteins to be to be happy. Um, and it, in fact, if you squeeze concrete and a drop of water came out, the pH of that solution's in excess of 12 and a half uh, to 13. So really, really basic solution. Um, so we thought, well, if proteins don't work, perhaps we can create a synthetic molecule or test a few synthetic molecules um, that have that same antifreeze behavior. Um, and so our study that was just published this week uh, reports on uh, the uh, results that we, that we found using a synthetic molecule that really mimicked that antifreeze uh, behavior by keeping ice crystals really small. Um, and so we showed that we were able to resist this freezing and thawing damage in concrete without entraining any air bubbles. I'm speaking with Will Shrubar. He's Assistant Professor of Civil, Environmental, and Architectural Engineering at the University of Colorado in Boulder, talking about new ways to uh, put an additive to concrete to keep the freeze-thaw cycle from really happening. Will, did you go about the research then to find this protein and then put it into concrete, or was it the other way around, the concrete first and then the protein second? Was it, so which one was, was first? Yeah, so we certainly um, have, have spent a lot of time researching uh, regular concrete, concrete mixtures. Um, and, and in the field of concrete, there are a lot of special sauces you add like when you're actually mixing the concrete, so kind of in the fresh, in the fresh state. Um, so we took the approach of using these types of molecules in much the same way where you would add them kind of a, a, as an ingredient as you're mixing the fresh, uh, the fresh concrete. Um, so we didn't necessarily add it afterwards, you know, kind of forced the intrusion of, of the molecule. We added into the into the recipe of the concrete. So because concrete really is water aggregate like rocks and, and different size rocks and cement. So people think that cement, they're calling it cement, which really is a concrete when it's when it's fully hardened. Cement is just the the glue, basically, that keeps everything together when it's mixed with water and aggregate. So you just throw in this compound then to that overall mix and it, uh, it, it becomes what, uh, I, I guess, anti-freezable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're exactly right. So cement is to concrete as flour is to cake. Uh, so we, 
use cement, which is the powder, we add some water and that really becomes the glue. Um, and that binds the sand and the, and the larger particles like the aggregate rocks together. Um, and our molecule um, stays dissolved in, in the water. So, um, you know, as the concrete starts to harden, um, uh, there's still definitely some, some tiny little capillary pores inside the concrete where the molecule exists. Um, and it's kind of ready and waiting for an ice crystal to form um, in much the same way that, that it could work in, say, like blood vessels, uh, for example. Um, well, as soon as an ice crystal forms, that ice binding protein um, or our biomimetic antifreeze molecule um, kind of is attracted to it like a magnet and binds the ice surface and, and keeps that ice crystal really, really small. So is this something that's going to be revolutionary to just road builders or just building builders or both or anybody that has any kind of concrete, like I can go to Home Depot and get some quick crete and, and throw it on my, uh, as a patch on my driveway. Yeah, that's a really great, that's a really great question. Um, so we think any and all uh, folks that uh, throughout the building industry um, who's working with fresh concrete mixtures um, and, and that are specifically looking at, you know, using additives um, uh, such as those uh, air and training admixtures that put in the little tiny air bubbles um, in concrete. Um, you know, certainly we think that this discovery will revolutionize that, um, that, that approach and, and, and provide a new um, admixture technology for, for resisting freezing and thawing. But what we're most excited about is that this discovery um, is uh, applicable not only to, to civil infrastructure and, and buildings and roads, uh, but other uh, industries and applications as well. So there's a lot of research going on right now um, in the biomedical world with organ cryopreservation, um, in the wind energy world with antifreeze and anti-icing surfaces. Um, and there's also some really um, good potential uh, for this molecule to be applied in food uh, uh, cryopreservation. Uh, so you don't get um, you know, a lot of that uh, uh, freezer burn um, from all that stuff sitting in your in your freezer. I'm speaking with Will Shrubar. He is Assistant Professor of Civil, Environmental, and Architectural Engineering over the University of Colorado at Boulder. Will, two things from that. One, can because does that mean I, I could see that additive put into that de-icing that would be spread onto planes? And you know there's that uh, frozen dead guy that's up in Netherlands, just up the road from CU. <laughs> could, could we all use this for, for cryogenic, for, for, the, for the freezing of people after they've died and, and then bring them back? Like in that, uh, that uh, I think it was on Amazon, that uh, show called Upload. Yeah, you know, that's exactly what we're trying to um, uh, investigate right now at the university is uh, and we're talking with some folks that, that do um, small-scale tissue uh, uh, cryopreservation and, and really cryopreservation of, of embryos and, um, uh, and, and other uh, soft tissues. You know, it's really a, it's really a problem uh, because you do get some damage from ice crystal growth. So I, I think it's, we're a little bit further off from, from perhaps uh, cryopreserving bodies and bringing them back. Um, but uh, we are certainly starting at the small scale, uh, and we'll see where it goes. So what kind of a cost is involved in making this and bringing it to a market? So if I go to Home Depot and I want to uh, buy it, or if it's part of a uh, larger construction contract where a highway or uh, is being rebuilt into concrete, so what is the cost 
there for uh, to put this additive into the concrete? Yeah, um, so we've done some preliminary cost analyses and have shown that the, the molecule that we first did all of our studies on um, was really biomedically uh, approved. Um, so people do use the molecule uh, in, in drug delivery in the human body, but we were using it for a different purpose. Um, we, when, when you scale that up to concrete, um, you're looking at paying about $10 per cubic yard of concrete if you use that molecule, um, which is really cost prohibitive uh, in the construction uh, industry, um, which is really is a commodity market. And most admixtures cost significantly less than that, um, like the air and training admixtures are a couple of dollars uh, per cubic yard. Um, but what I will say is that we, ha we are excited because we've discovered other molecules that would put the cost of this admixture at less than a dollar per cubic yard, um, which is even uh, cost comparative um, and even uh, better uh, and cost reduced uh, than the normal ways in which we would mitigate freeze thaw damage. So really, this is a... I mean, it's honestly, it's one of those revolutionary changes of a lifetime that, that could really change how we build out our infrastructure as we're talking a lot about infrastructure and how it's going to be ramped up. Either political candidate is talking a lot about infrastructure. We're talking about rebuilding a lot of uh, America. It, it really could be that next step into how we are rebuilding the country. Absolutely. You know, we, we do think this is a, a disruptive technology uh, to a field um, whose approach to freezing and thawing hasn't changed in, in the better part, like I said, of the century. For the last 70 years, we've been doing the same thing. Um, but really, it's really important now uh, uh, to understand uh, what new technologies can help us make really durable infrastructure, um, because the concrete that we do make today has to last. Um, you know, concrete, many, many of your listeners may know, concrete... Um, is ubiquitous. We use so much of it. Um, it's the second most consumed material on earth after water. And because of that, it has significant environmental uh, consequences. Um, up to 8% of global CO2 emissions are attributable to concrete uh, manufacture use and disposal. Um, so this, both of these things, the sustainability of concrete, uh, both from you know, making sure that we're manufacturing it in a, in a very environmental way, but really also making sure that the resiliency and the durability um, is, as, is as high as we can, we can get it um, is really critical um, right now in America's, uh, um, in this point right now, um, in the dialogue right now in America regarding civil infrastructure, because um, we got to make it last. And, and there's so much uh, building going on with concrete, and, and we've seen how much it deteriorates over not even very long of a time. And like you said, that process, it, uh, it's not an easy one to, or, or a cheap one, to take the old stuff out, repurpose it, put it back into new stuff. Exactly. You know, one of the reasons we use so much concrete is it is a great material and it can be extremely durable. You know, ancient Roman concretes have been around for millennia. Um, and so we certainly need to be mindful um, of, uh, of the durability. Um, decades from now, um, the concrete that we place may ex actually be experiencing very different uh, climatic conditions um, that it was originally designed uh, uh, to withstand. So understanding the effects of climate, microclimate, how that may affect uh, our concrete infrastructure is certainly 
um, something we need to keep in mind today. I'm talking with Will Shrubar. He is an assistant professor of civil, environmental, and architectural engineering at the University of Colorado up there in Boulder. And is this an additive that I'm going to be able to buy over at uh, Lowe's here in the next couple of weeks, couple of months, couple of years? How long is it going <laughs> to take to come to market? Uh, whether it's I'm going to be buying it or uh, one of the big construction companies are going to use it for a, for a road or a building. Yeah, we're, we're, we're excited um, because this week, you know, which, which marks um, uh, our first publication, um, you know, our paper came out this week. Um, and we've already gotten so many inbounds from really interested parties looking to potentially license and commercialize the technology. Um, it's one of those, it's one of those um, inventions that is not necessarily, uh, doesn't have a very long uh, pathway uh, to commercialization. And so we, you could expect um, that concrete being poured either, either by CDOT or, or, or even being delivered to pour your back patio um, could have the, have the compound in it um, within the next, for sure, the next five to 10 years. That's really remarkable. So this is a product that basically is going to allow you to retire early. <laughs> <laughs> My partner hopes so. I'll oh, okay. say that. <laughs> <laughs> How has the uh, closure of the uh, campus affected you and uh, being a professor and all the students up there? How is, uh, how is all that working out? Yeah, you know, that, that has uh, brought uh, a number of, of challenges, um, you know, uh, both on the teaching side of things and on the research side of things. Um, I will say there was quite a, quite a um, at least for my part, a smooth transition to online instruction. Um, students these days are, are very adept at, at, at adjusting to technology, learning new technology. Um, and it's actually quite, quite exciting to learn um, uh, some new pedagogy uh, it, as it relates to online teaching. Um, on the research side, you know, it's challenging for those of us who do experimental work um, and so we've really had to shift a little bit of our uh, of our focus away from actually doing experiments um, to doing more deeper dives into analysis, um, doing a little bit more uh, mathematical modeling, um, and doing uh, really thorough reviews of of, uh, of recent research. Um, we've been doing a lot of paper writing, a lot of proposal writing, um, and I will I will say the last the last thing is is really. Um, also just ensuring, uh, you know, at least for my, my, my graduate students doing research, um, just ensuring that, that they feel supported and uh, still on the right track, um, even though they're not necessarily in the lab, um, has been both a challenge and, and, and really a reward because um, um, I do think that we've, we've found a groove and, and we do have a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel as the university uh, starts to open up. Because, you know, walking around your apartment or dorm room in a lab coat all by yourself really doesn't have the same <laughs> effect. Yeah, we, we, we joke a lot. We joke a lot about kitchen chemistry yeah. uh, because some of my uh, some of my students and even some of my colleagues have brought a little bit of their work, um, their work at home. And fortunately, in construction, you know, we're, we don't have to worry too much about, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of biohazards and, and a lot of. Uh, uh, of other red tape um, so we can do some of our experiments actually in our own backyard. Well, that's good. That's, <laughs> that's uh, I'm sure all the other neighbors are the, you know, the folks in the uh, next apartment or dorm room really appreciate that. I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, Will. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is Will Shrubar. He's the assistant professor of civil environmental and architectural engineering at the university of Colorado at Boulder. Uh, I wish you all the best success and uh, hopefully we're going to see your uh, concrete additive 
uh, make the country stronger for the next 100 or 200 years. Thanks so much. You and me both. Thank you. Well, who knew there was so much going on with concrete? Oh, it was pretty interesting. Hope you did, too. All right, well, that's all for the show. 303-832-0217 is the phone number if you want to get a hold of us. Again, the email is podcast at gmail.com. Love to hear from you during this time, and tell me about your traffic. Tell me, um, tell me about your road issues. 303-832-0217. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being here, and until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.